Duke's Mayo. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Hey, everyone. If you haven't already... Go check out the murder diaries podcast.com and go shop our merch. We have so many cute things. We know you're going to love them. Lots of pink, lots of skulls, lots of flowers. There's everything there. And luckily for our listeners, we've had such a positive response to our awesome merch that we are extending the deadline and keeping the merch store open until 1159 PM, April 27th, Pacific Standard Time. So log on to the murder diaries podcast.com and click the merch store button to get your goodies. And to those who've already purchased something from us, we see you, we love you, we appreciate you. Thanks again. And now enjoy the show. All right. A little trigger warning before today's episode. I just want all our listeners to be aware that we'll be playing a portion of a 911 call. And so if that's something that triggers you, I just want you to be aware that it'll be coming up. Always good to give a trigger warning. I am looking forward to telling this story the way that it is planned out for this episode. It's obviously not a lesser known story that we're bringing this week, Mm -hmm. but it is special with this date in that the anniversary of one of the most horrific things to happen on American soil the anniversary is coming up. Right. It's April 20th, 1999. So it would be 22 years now since this awful event took place. But I'm going to stop blabbering and I'm going to pass this mic to somebody who's going to tell you a true crime story like we do every week. Natalie, take it away. All right. I'm going to start off a little differently than I usually do, but bear with me. I think you guys will understand where I'm going. Cassie Bernal, Stephen Curno, Corey DePooter, Kelly Fleming, Matthew Ketcher, Daniel Mauser, Daniel Rorbo, William Dave Sanders, Rachel Scott, Isaiah Scholes, John Tomlin, Lauren Townsend, and Kyle Velasquez. Those are the innocent individuals who lost their lives on April 20th, 1999, during the Columbine High School Massacre. 
If there's anything you remember or take away from today's episode, I pray that it's one of those names. Because in the last 22 years since the massacre, Columbine has become a euphemism for school shootings, much like the names Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold are synonymous with mass shooters. And with the anniversary coming up, I really want to focus on the people whose lives were cut short rather than the people who chose to do evil acts. It's such an important perspective, especially today in true crime. And for me personally, this story is one that gives me chills every single time. I remember being almost 12 years old when this happened and thinking to myself, oh, we're screwed. Mm -hmm. American schools are screwed. This is this is not going to be the last time. And it definitely wasn't. It wasn't. It still happens way too often. And how sick is that, though, to think of somebody who wasn't even 12 years old yet, wasn't at high school yet, was still years away and... Afraid. Right. Was afraid or thinking, great, this is something we're going to have to be contending with here. Wow. I think it's so great that you started out this episode mentioning each and every one of the 13 murder victims' names. And I think we should also mention that there are at least 23 others who were injured, some Mm -hmm. very seriously. Of course, there are those who are still living with PTSD. The trauma goes far beyond this list of names, but these are the people who I wanted to specifically remember for today's episode. 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Progressive protects more than just your home and car. You could save when you bundle your motorcycles, ATVs, boats, and RVs. Doesn't that sound good? Like the sound of the wind in the trees as your RV sits parked in the forest. Is that the call of the majestic owl? And there's the sound of a tree branch crashing into the roof of your RV. Oof, I guess their nest was in that branch. But you know what does sound good? You're covered with Progressive. So bundle all your vehicles and home in one place and save with the multi-policy discount. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. So let's go back to Tuesday, April 20th, 1999. It started like any other spring day in Littleton, Colorado, a middle-class suburb on the outskirts of Denver, Colorado. It was low in crime and altogether a tad boring. And I say that in a sense that nothing ever happened there. But this sleepy suburb was about to have a rude awakening and be thrust into worldwide notoriety. I can confirm this is definitely your classic middle-class suburb Mm -hmm. during a Colorado trip. I made my husband drive me out to Columbine High School because it has just always been something that sat with me. And I remember being in the area. It's totally a nice area, but yeah, not a lot going on, Mm -mm. but nice area. So this was such an unexpected event in this area. Nobody would have seen it coming. Absolutely. In a field three miles south of Columbine High School and two miles south of Littleton Fire Station, 
the offenders. And I just want to take a moment to clarify what I'm going to be doing. I don't want to call the offenders by their names unless I have to differentiate them because I don't want to give them any more attention than they already have gotten in the last 22 years. So that's what I'll be doing. And it's not information that we don't already have. Right. Like this case is so known, you know their names. So yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'll be doing. Just wanted to throw that out before I forgot. But the offenders planted two backpacks filled with homemade pipe bombs, aerosol canisters, and small propane bombs. They constructed these explosives by using instructions from the internet and the anarchist cookbook. They made a total of 99 bombs, including pipe bombs, carbon dioxide cartridges filled with gunpowder that are called crickets, Molotov cocktails, and they converted propane tanks into bombs, car bombs, and diversionary bombs. The amount of damage that was intended with these bombs is disgusting. They truly planned to harm as many kids and really everyone that they could. Yeah. And we're going to see that even more clearly as I continue on in the timeline. These specific bombs that were placed in the field were set to detonate at 11.14 a.m. And they were meant to act as a diversion to occupy firefighters and other emergency personnel who would have been needed at the school once the massacre began. A small fire eventually erupted when the pipe bombs and only one of the aerosol canisters detonated, but fortunately the fire department quickly extinguished it. I'm not exactly sure what time the fire happened because none of the resources really state the time. So just let that be known that it really didn't have the effect that the offenders wanted. And remember, this is such a chaotic event. There was so much going on in so many different areas. Right. Timelines can get confusing outside of what they have on the CCTV cams. Absolutely. Meanwhile, the offenders arrived separately at Columbine High School around 11.10 a.m., Dylan parked his BMW in the senior student parking lot, while Eric parked his vehicle in the adjoining junior student parking lot. Each car was equipped with bombs, eight in Dylan's car and one in Eric's. They had an assortment of pipe bombs and two 20-pound propane tanks with gas cans and bottles set throughout the vehicles. And that's how they were hoping that they would explode. I want to mention here, I think this is a good time to remind listeners or those that may not have been aware, they had a timeline in mind and they followed it to a T. Every single thing that they did was planned and written at the end of this list of the atrocities that they were gonna be committing this timeline. It said, have fun with an exclamation point. That just shows the pure evil they had in their hearts, I really think. Pure. Now, back to these car bombs. They were timed to detonate 50 minutes after their arrival, so around 12 p.m. While Eric was in the parking lot, he encountered a friend of his named Brooks Brown. He was smoking a cigarette after class and happened to see Eric. The two had had a contentious relationship for years prior to this moment, but had recently patched things up. And when Brooks told Eric he had missed a class test earlier that morning, Eric seemed unconcerned and commented, it doesn't matter anymore. 
He continued on, Brooks, I like you now. Get out of here. Go home. This conversation left Brooks a little uncomfortable and uneasy because of course he has no idea what he's talking about, but that almost feels like a warning. Whatever was going on in Brooks' head, he decided, you know what? I was already planning on skipping school. I might as well go ahead and do that. So he walked away down South Pierce Street and didn't look back, fully unaware of what was to come. So Brooks was a really close friend of Dylan's. They both grew up in the area since they were really small. They spent a lot of time together. They didn't really have a lot of other friends, especially Dylan, besides each other. Until Eric came along. Until Eric came along when he was around 12, which would have made Dylan around 13, which that's a tough time to start sharing your best friend Mm -hmm. who you spend every weekend with at their house or whatever they would do together. So it just gives a little context there to, you know, why Eric and Brooks may have had a contentious relationship. Well, Eric was really a wild card in that friend group. And once you made him mad, he wasn't ready to let it go. And he definitely did not forget. And Eric had actually written on his website that he planned to kill Brooks. When Dylan saw that, he told Brooks, who then told his parents. And Brooks' parents are actually the ones who took that to the police and, you know, let them know, hey, our son has been, has received a death threat. And that really put Brooks on Eric's shit list. And he's very fortunate that they were able to patch things up at this point because who knows, that could have been another name on our list at the top of the episode. Yeah, he could have been at the top of Eric's list that very day. Mm-hmm. That that moment could have changed everything. It's just crazy to think about. Yeah, it it kind of blows my mind. And I'm sure Brooks lives with that every day. I can't imagine how he wouldn't. Now, back to April 20th, the offenders then set their sights on the cafeteria, which was their primary target. And here's a quick description to help you and our listeners visualize the cafeteria, just because it really does play a big part in how they planned this event. The cafeteria building was two levels, and it had walls completely made up of windows. The bottom level was the cafeteria with ground level doors. And then the top level was the library. So the second story. And it's unclear at what time this occurred, but the offenders placed two duffel bags in the cafeteria. Each bag contained a 20 pound homemade propane bomb with a gallon gas can attached like the others that were placed in their cars. These specific bombs were set to detonate at 11.17 a.m during the A lunch shift, which was the busiest lunch hour. No witnesses recalled seeing the duffel bags being added to the 400 or so backpacks that were were already in the cafeteria. And the security staff of Columbine High School didn't observe the bags being placed in the cafeteria. But what happened was a custodian was actually replacing the school security videotape at 1114. So they believe you know, after the fact, they believe that this is around the time that the bags were placed in the cafeteria. And then it was a waiting game 
the offenders went back outside to arm themselves while they waited for the cafeteria bombs to go off. They used straps and webbing to conceal weapons beneath their matching black trench coats. And I love that like on Reddit and a a few other internet forums, people refer to them as dusters instead of trench coats because I think it's a lot funnier and I know that Eric and Dylan would not have appreciated that. So I just thought I'd throw that in. Just a way to stick it to them. Right. Underneath the trench coats, Eric wore a white t-shirt that read natural selection in black letters, while Dylan wore a t-shirt that read wrath in red letters. They really used their clothing to send a message and they also used it as a utility because they wore utility belts which held pouches filled with shotgun shells and they carried CO2 bombs and clips of nine millimeter bullets in their pants. They both had cargo pants, so a lot of pockets and access to them. They also carried two knives each. Fortunately, none of them were ever used during the massacre. Eric had one in a sheath taped to his ankle while Dylan had one that was a cobra knife. And this has been described as a knife with a curved blade and several spikes on its handle. So very... It's very much a weapon intended for absolute like pain and destruction. Intended for the most amount of pain possible. I mean, that's the way to put it. There's no other reason to buy a knife like that. And I didn't know this next part until I was researching for our episode today, but they also carried lighters as well as match strikers that were taped to their forearms so that they could light the pipe bombs and crickets. I had no idea about that, but I thought that was really interesting and wanted to make sure that I included that because it just shows how far they were willing to go and how prepared they were to make sure each and every one of their bombs went off. Absolutely. It goes back to the idea of how they had that timeline literally written out and had really thought this out to a T. As much as their teenage minds could figure out how to get it done, they had thought of it. Absolutely. In addition to that, they each lugged backpacks and duffel bags that were filled with pipe bombs and ammunition. Dylan also had a shotgun in one of his bags. Thankfully, the cafeteria bombs never detonated. Had these bombs exploded with the full power, they could have killed or severely wounded all 488 students in the cafeteria during the A-lunch shift. And possibly they could have made the ceiling collapse by destroying the pillars holding it up, thus dropping the library and all of its occupants into the cafeteria. Investigators believe that the pair intended to shoot the survivors escaping the cafeteria and running into the parking lots, which is another reason why they parked their cars there because they figured anyone that was able to escape the building that had been demolished would either get shot or be wounded from the car bombs. This is so intense. They really wanted to harm almost every single student in this school. They had about their journal lists that there was about 100 students that they didn't want to harm. I don't know if they ever wrote those 100 students out, but it was personally written mm-hmm. by one of them in a journal. Forget which one. Probably Eric. That there was, it was probably, yes, I believe he had more of the journalistic tendency there. Mm-hmm. And so, 
yes, he wrote, there's about a hundred students that I don't want to die as they started planning this out and he started writing about it. So they really wanted to force all the students to run from the blasts and shoot the ball. Yeah, funnel them to the parking lot. If they didn't get them in the cafeteria, if they didn't get them on their way out of the cafeteria, they wanted to get them with their car. This is so intense. It's mind-blowing to think that as horrific as everything plays out this day became Mm -hmm. what it really even could have been as well. Right. It's mind-blowing. And it's not even somewhere I like want my mind to go because it's so frightening that two teenagers could think this way, would think this way, and would act on it. It's just a really good thing that those bombs never went off in the cafeteria. Right. And it's one of the only things that stopped at that small moment in time on this horrific day, even more destruction. Absolutely. I 100% agree because the fact that the the bombs failed to detonate in the cafeteria led the offenders to alter their plans on the fly. They began their shooting spree at 11.19 a.m. as they approached the west entrance of the school. And they opened fire on two students sitting outside having lunch on the grass. 17-year-old Rachel Scott and her friend Richard Castaldo. Dylan threw a pipe bomb towards the parking lot and the bomb only partially detonated, just like all the others. It doesn't seem that they put it together right, thankfully. And it ended up giving off smoke. Richard, who was sitting with Rachel Scott on the grass, thought it was a senior prank because, remember, this is late April a lot of these students are seniors and they're getting ready to graduate. So senioritis. Yeah, senioritis. And it's not uncommon, at least for this school, for seniors to do pranks. A witness then reported hearing, go, go, before Dylan and Eric pulled their guns from beneath their trench coats and began shooting. Rachel was killed instantly. She was hit four times with rounds fired from Eric's carbine and one shot was to the left temple. Richard was shot eight times in the chest, arm, and abdomen. He fell unconscious and was left paralyzed from the chest down. I actually just watched a documentary on Columbine, partially prepping for this episode, of course, and Richard was on it. And he Mm -hmm. talks about this very moment, watching him sitting in that wheelchair that he wouldn't have to be in today if these assholes didn't decide to shoot the school up was so heartbreaking because he's also talking about someone that he was really close to dying Mm -hmm. right next to him, Rachel. It was just really hard to watch. Like it's to watch him relive that moment. I, yeah, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. I don't know if there's a word for it. Maybe the true crime community can create one. There's probably a German word for it because they have yeah very descriptive words. <laughs> they do. They do. And if they don't have one, they'll put a couple together. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. Gotta love German. At any rate, it was just really a harrowing moment to watch as he's sitting in his wheelchair with his service dog in the area where his friend at the time died right beside him. Awful. Despite having killed and wounded their first victims, the offenders continued the rampage without another thought. 
Eric aimed his weapon down the west staircase in the direction of three students, Daniel Rorbo, Sean Graves, and Lance Kirkland. The students figured they were paintball guns and were about to walk up the staircase directly below the shooters when they were struck. The bullets killed Daniel while injuring Sean and Lance. Dave Sanders, who was a teacher and coach at the school, was in the cafeteria when he heard the gunfire. And that's when he started to warn the students to get them out of the cafeteria and get them to safety. The offenders turned and began firing west in the direction of five students sitting on the grassy hillside adjacent to the steps and opposite the west entrance of the school. Michael Johnson was hit in the face, leg, and arm, but ran and escaped. Mark Taylor was shot in the chest, arms, and leg and fell to the ground where he faked death. And the three other students escaped uninjured. Dylan continued his rampage and walked down the steps toward the cafeteria. And it's here that he came upon Lance Kirkland, who was already wounded and lying on the ground weakly calling for help. And Dylan said, sure, I'll help you. When he picked up his gun and shot Lance in the face with his shotgun. Fortunately, even though Lance was gravely injured, he would eventually survive his injuries. Sean Graves was paralyzed beneath the waist and had crawled into the doorway of the cafeteria's west entrance and had collapsed. He rubbed blood on his face and he played dead. And he distinctly remembers that after Dylan shot Lance, Dylan walked towards the cafeteria door and stepped over Sean. And he remembers Dylan saying, sorry, dude. It's now 11.22 a.m., which means three minutes have passed since the shooting began. I feel like so much has already happened in those three minutes. I just have to interject and say that. Completely. I 100% agree. It feels like we're moving in slow motion here. Yes. It's crazy how much damage has already occurred in, what, 180 seconds? A literal carnage already. And it's at this moment that a custodian calls Deputy Neil Gardner. He was the assigned resource officer for Columbine High School. And for whatever reason, this was the one day he chose not to eat lunch on campus. And that really was unlike his routine because he always ate on campus during this A shift, you know, A lunch shift. But today, that just wasn't the case. And over the radio, he gets a message from this custodian who says that they need assistance in the senior parking lot. And where he was at, he had to go the long way, which only took a minute. But I guess in a time of, you know, peril, when you need help, when you you get a call like that, a minute feels like a really long time, like we just talked about. Well, look, yeah, look how much has already even happened in three minutes. Look what terrible things can happen in just three minutes. Exactly. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. And so he's driving and he hears another call come out over the radio at 1123. And it says, 
that a female's down. You know, he's not thinking there's a shooter on campus. He's thinking, all right, a student was hit by a car. Like, what's my next Mm -hmm. step going to be? And then as he's getting out of his patrol car at 1124, he hears another call go over the school radio. This time it says, Neil, there's a shooter in the school. And when I read that, it really did give me chills because I can't imagine how it must have felt to live through that. And it's so sad that there are hundreds of students and staff members and teachers and whoever else that have lived through something like this. But that's what's going on at this moment. Eric is at the West entrance and he immediately turns and fires 10 shots from his gun at the police officer who was 60 yards away or 55 meters. As Harris is reloading his gun, the officer leans over the top of his car and fires four rounds at Eric from his service pistol. But Eric ducked back into the building and the officer believed, okay, well, maybe I got him. Maybe I like subdued the threat. Unfortunately, Eric reemerged unharmed and fired four more shots which fortunately struck two cars and then he ran back inside. This is when the police officer gets on his police radio and starts saying, shots in the building, I need someone in the south lot with me. Meanwhile, the offenders continue their shooting spree. They shoot another student in the ankle who was fortunate enough to be able to crawl out of the, the building and escape to safety. Around this time, there are two motorcycle cops for the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office and they're nearby giving someone a ticket when they hear the call go out over the radio saying, female down. And they're a little concerned, so they decide to head on over to the Columbine High School. That's when they see even more deputies racing to the school. So now there are six deputies that are starting to help rescue students who are injured and fleeing from the scene that are able to escape. So the community is now finding out what's going on at this school. Right. Seven minutes in, they're realizing their nightmares coming true. If you remember, I mentioned a coach and teacher named Dave Sanders earlier who had told the students to brace for cover, to hide from the bullets. And it's around this time that he's trying to evacuate even more students. He's leading them up to the second floor of the school towards the library. Remember, it's a two-story building. Right. These stairs are located to the main hallway in the building, and they're trying to get these kids to safety, except Dylan and Eric are in that hallway. Dan Sanders is at the end of the hallway, and he's trying to get students in the library to stay put. And this is when the offenders approach him. Dan runs from them in the opposite direction and he and he's shot at by the offenders. He was struck twice in the back and the neck and on the exit of the bullet that hit his neck, they went through his teeth. He collapsed in the hallway and struggled towards the science area where a teacher took him into her classroom where 30 students had been hiding. Luckily, there was a student who was acquainted with first aid. His name was Aaron Hansey. And he was brought to the classroom by another teacher who, despite everything going on, knew that they were going to need first aid. 
And it's here where they administered first aid to him for three hours, but he was losing so much blood. Now we're at 1127 a.m. The shooters are now near the library. And there's a woman, a staff member who works in the library. Her name is Patty Nielsen. She calls 911. And she tells her students to take cover and to stay put. And this is where I'm going to have the 911 call play. We've got help on the way, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. Stay in the line of... Oh, God. Do we know where he's at? I'm sorry? Do we know where he's at? Okay. I'm in the library. He's upstairs. He's right outside of here. He's outside? He's outside of this hall. Outside of a hall? Outside of a hall. Okay. There are alarms and things going off. Now, smoke. My God, smoke is, like, coming into this room. Okay. Okay. I've got the kids under the table here. I don't know what's happening in the rest okay. of the building. Most of like smoke in the building. I don't know. I'm sure someone has to be calling 911. Yes, we've got a lot of people on. Okay. I just want you to stay in the line with me. We need to know what's going on. Okay. Okay. I am on the floor. Okay. And you've okay. got the kids in the there. Library. And I've got every student in this library on the floor. You better stay on the floor. Is there any way you can lock the doors? Um, smoke is coming in from out there, and I'm a little okay. The gun is right outside the library door. That audio literally gives me chills up and down my body. I heard it for the first time the other day and I just had to take a moment to breathe and not look at the notes because I can't imagine having to go through something like that. Just the fear in her voice was so real and heartbreaking and it's not something you want anyone to ever go through. That call just gives you a small snippet of if you haven't lived that experience, it's the closest you can get to understanding a little bit of what it is they are feeling, like getting that picture of what Mm -hmm. they're feeling in that time, in that moment when one of the biggest fears of anybody in education is happening, it's happening. Well, when you're faced with life and death, Yes. That's what they were going through and no one ever should have to go through that. We're now at 11.29 a.m. and the offenders enter the library. There are four staff members and 52 students hiding. That's when they began shooting. They yelled and mocked students. And Kyle Velasquez was the first to die because he didn't know to hide. And this one really got me. He had some sort of learning disability. I don't want to go too far into it because I don't have the specifics on it, but that's what has been stated in the resources. And he liked panda bears and coloring and he really didn't have a chance. The other students were quiet. Some cried and others begged for their lives. The offenders fired out the library windows at two deputy sheriffs who returned fire. And then they began systematically shooting their classmates. They'd pop under tables, say peekaboo, and then shoot. There was a lot of hooting and hollering. And one deputy even referred to it as a false bravado between the two shooters. And I I think that's the perfect way to describe what's going on because they're almost trying to amp each other up with what during all of this is going on. Like that note said, have fun, exclamation point. Exactly. That's what they're trying to make this in their sick, twisted, demented way. Throughout the entire ordeal in the library, the offenders are consistently telling 
the victims and those hiding to get up. They're telling them that the library is going to explode. And in their minds, it probably was true because they knew that they had planted these bombs and had no way of knowing if or when they were ever going to go off. They also went on to state how long they had been waiting to do something like this and how it was finally happening and how they were so excited to be doing it. A lot of this is recorded on surveillance cameras too, Mm -hmm. right? In the library and the cafeteria, especially, which can you imagine being the one to go through those tapes? I can't. No, I, I can't even imagine having to watch that. I watched a few little clips because they happened to be in a documentary I had yeah, you know, taking notes out on, there. but it, it's not something I would go and search willingly. Yeah, even those ones that are just what we'll call documentary approved, where it's not showing the gruesome parts that they're able to include in a documentary are hard enough to watch. So as they're moving around the library, Dylan removes his trench coat. And it's at this point he starts firing his shotgun at a nearby table. At this point, he injures three students, Patrick Ireland, Daniel Steepleton, and Mackay Hall. While he's doing that, Eric walks toward the lower row of computer desks with his shotgun out. And he fires a single shot under the first desk that he sees. And this is when he hits and kills 14-year-old Stephen Curnow with a fatal shot to the neck. We're now at 11.35. At this point, the offenders have killed 12 students and a teacher, and they've wounded more than 20 other people. It's 11.36 a.m., and they now leave the library to wreak more havoc on other parts of the school. They return to the cafeteria. They throw a few more crickets and um, Molotov bombs and eventually return to the library, which is now empty of survivors except for Patrick Ireland, who's unconscious, and Lisa Krutz, who's injured. Around 12.02, the police finally enter the school. And at this point, the offenders start shooting at the police officers, who then return fire. By 12.05, all gunfire from the school has ceased. By 12.08, Both offenders have killed themselves. Eric sat down with his back to a bookshelf and fired his shotgun through the roof of his mouth. And Dylan went down on his knees and shot himself in the left temple with his gun. Throughout the 49-minute ordeal, the offenders shot 188 rounds of ammunition. They had 99 explosives, four guns, and four knives. Eric fired his gun 96 times and his shotgun 25 times. Dylan, on the other hand, fired a shotgun 55 times and shot 12 rounds from a double-barreled shotgun. In the days following the shootings, Rachel Scott's car and John Tomlin's truck became memorials, and impromptu memorials were held in Clement Park. On April 30th, carpenter Greg Zanis erected 15 six-foot-tall wooden crosses to honor those who had died at the school. Daniel Rohrbo's father cut down the two meant for the gunmen. Classes at Columbine were held at nearby Chatfield Senior High for the remaining three weeks of the 1999 school year. In August 1999, students returned to the school and the principal led a rally of students clad in We Are Columbine shirts. 
But could you imagine returning as a student? That would be such a source of trigger, for lack of a better word. Like that would just be... It would be too much to bear. In April 2001, close to three dozen families of Columbine victims settled suit with the parents of the offenders. The settlement totaled close to $2.5 million. A memorial to honor the victims was dedicated in September 2007 in a meadow right next to the high school. The library was removed and made into an atrium, which is actually what you said you had visited earlier. Right, Paige? Yeah, when I was in Colorado, I have family in Colorado, my husband and I do. And last time we were there, I said, hey, I have always wanted to see Columbine High School. It is a case that I cannot let go. Can we go look at it? So we did. We drove there and there is a very open walkway. And I mean open in terms of it being windows with lots of lights Mm -hmm. and everything like that. Um, When I first saw the words library, I was like, is that the library? And then I realized everything that had happened all in one and was researching exactly what had happened. Because at the time that we did it, it wasn't something that I was totally up on in terms of like what what they did with the space. Mm -hmm. But yes, I did take a visit and they did the best they could. Um, I've also read an article that in 2019, the board was going to bring to the community the idea if they want to kind of tear down the existing building and doing some other rebuilding ideas to the high school. It was very well put together and didn't look very old when I was there, but I did not walk the halls at all. So I don't know, you know, what they could benefit from there, but it's just interesting that they are still in, you know, more recent years trying to figure out the best way to memorialize the students and not forget what happened, but keep their current students in community feeling safe and respected as well with what they have to deal with when they attend classes, for example, in a school like this or when their children do. Or So I could only imagine trying to juggle all of those emotions rolled into one you know, let's memorialize, let's keep this as it stands and show we're strong. Let's rebuild because this is an eerie feeling and we need to bring energy anew, you know? So I I do not envy their position in trying to still figure it out here 20 years later. Neither do I. In the aftermath of the Columbine massacre, schools across the United States have enacted a zero tolerance policy regarding disruptive behavior, and threats of violence from one student to another. Unfortunately, that hasn't stopped school shootings from happening. In fact, I'm going to read you a list of school shootings that have happened since Columbine. In 2005, there was the Red Lake Senior High School of Red Lake Indian Reservation in Minnesota. Seven people were killed. We had Virginia Tech in 2007 where 32 people were killed. Then there's the Oikos University shooting in Oakland, California in 2012, where seven people were killed. Then probably one of the most 
notorious and infamous cases is the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Connecticut. In 2012, where 26 children and uh, staff members were killed. And then we have Santa Fe High School in Santa Fe, Texas in 2018, where 10 people were killed. And honestly, this is the tip of the iceberg. There are so many other schools that are on this list, but I cannot possibly read all of them in the time we have today. It's so sad that we haven't learned from what happened to these poor individuals, these innocent people who lost their lives for no reason other than two individuals who were angry at the world and took their anger out on others. So before we end today, I want to reread the list of victims of the Columbine massacre so we can remember their names instead of the offenders who chose to do this. Cassie Bernal, who was 17 years old, Stephen Kernow, who was 14, Corey DePuter, who was 17, Kelly Fleming, who was 16 years old, Matthew Ketcher, who was 16, Daniel Mauser, who was 15, Daniel Rorbo, who was 15, William Dave Sanders, who was the coach and teacher at, and was 47 years old, Rachel Scott, who was 17, Isaiah Scholes, who was 18, John Tomlin, 16, Lauren Townsend, 18, and Kyle Velasquez, 16. Hearing those names again after listening to that story is, again, just harrowing. I'd like to add to your list as well, which in no way could we provide an entirely comprehensive list of school shootings just in the U.S. alone, which is so sad. But I'd like to add, of course, Parkland High School, in Florida, as well as Santana High School in Santee, California, which took place March 5th, 2001, with 13 injured and two dead, which was really known to be Mm -hmm. in relation and inspired by Columbine. So it just shows what came after this horrific event and what it has unfortunately continued to inspire in a sort of dark and twisted way yeah yeah and i said it at the top of the episode but i will i will never forget at almost 12 years old thinking yeah this isn't going to be the only one this is scary we'll leave this episode here until our next episode you know where to find us at the murder diaries pod on instagram at the murder diaries podcast.com and at the murder diaries pod at gmail.com. If you haven't already gotten your murder diaries merch, the deadline was April 20th, but we've had such a positive response. We're going to extend that deadline. Yay. So we are going to keep the store open for another week. So you have until April 27th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to get your Murder Diaries goodness. So go to murderdiariespodcast.com, click that merch store button. And get your merch. And until then, better safe than dead. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.